The Bible reading today is taken from Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 7. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and not the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wonderful. Thank you for singing that so well. And we're at the point now we get to look into the Bible to hear that wonderful message of hope. But as we do that, I'm just going to pray and ask that the living God would help us to come to grips with the hope that he offers us in Jesus. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word, the Bible, is your message to us about your son and about the way of salvation, about your character and all that you're doing in the world, about your faithfulness, your power, your authority about the fact that Christ is coming back again if the resurrection is true. And so, Lord, we ask that we wouldn't just be able to make sense of this, but if there is something you want us to experience and to do, please would you help us to find it. You know the needs of the people listening. You know them so much better than I. Please would you come near, draw near to us as we seek to draw near to you. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this is what we're looking at here from Ephesians chapter two, that letter written by the Apostle Paul. It is the most simple and direct summary of the hope that is available through the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You get what's happening here. Saul, the man who met the risen Lord Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus, the one who met the risen Lord Jesus, says, I want you to be able to make sense of it. And I want you to be able to experience that same hope alive in your own life. And this is the summary of it. Are you ready? It's going to sound a little bit weird. But when he spoke about it, he was talking about himself. He was talking about the symptoms and the problems in the world. And he was talking about what is true for you as well. And he said this. I was dead, but God made me alive in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say that again? I was dead. But God made me alive in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does he mean? The reality is, is that everybody thinks that there is a problem in the world. It's why you've got locks on your doors and filters on your computer. It's why you're naturally suspicious when you're out and about. It's why you quite often doubt what people say to you, because you know that there are things that are rotten and broken in the world. But we tend to find that we would differ over how bad and how serious it is. Because we have to get it right as to how bad or how serious, because if you're going to find a solution to the problem, it needs to match the severity of the problem. What do I mean, Steve? What do I mean? Well, yesterday or the day before, one of my daughters came to me with a little scratch on, on of their skin. 
Now, I'm not going to rush them off to the uh, in an ambulance and insist that they get wired up to some sort of cardiac machine. That would be way out of order. So all I did to meet that need was put a little plaster or put something on the knee. That deals with it. How about if one of the girls comes to me and they say, Daddy, I'm feeling re really ill with the flu. Well, I'll watch it a little bit more carefully. I'll give them some paracetamol, say bed rest. What happens if over a period of time it looks as if they've got some sort of internal problem that is really damaging their health? I take them to a doctor, they get a diagnosis and they need a very severe treatment called chemotherapy because of cancer. But what about if one of my little girls dies? What's going to rescue that? What's going to turn them around? The only thing that will turn them around is a miracle. And so I say to you today, depending on what we see is the problem in the world will depend upon what we think we will get the problem done. If it's not a too serious a problem, then maybe human strength in its own or we, we can find some sort of solutions in ourselves. We can put our heads together and overcome. But if the problem is more serious, then we will be needing a miracle. And what does the Apostle Paul says? The problem in his heart and the problem with every human being was, well, we read it there in verse one. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. Do you see what that means? He, he gives a radically different world view of humanity than so often we hear. Quite often I measure who I am and what I'm like by the people that are around me. So I think to myself, I'm doing OK because I'm, well, I'm not as bad as that person or, you know, I'm doing OK because I'm succeeding in that domain of my life. I can run reasonably fast and I can uh, my, my health isn't too bad and I've got an OK amount of money in the bank. And well, everything is OK. But notice that Paul measures our real situation, not on the basis of the horizontal, but on the basis of how we are doing before God. What a different angle. You don't hear that one on Sky News or the BBC, do you? But Paul says that I realized in my heart what I that encounter with Jesus revealed that more than anything at the base of who I am, I am somebody who is dead because of my trespasses and sins. Remember what trespasses are. Trespasses are going where you should not go. Remember what sins are doing before God what should never be done. He is the God who made us. He is the God who loves us. He is the God who keeps the world spinning. And to go against him and to shake his fist is to invite misery and to invite death. Oh, don't get me wrong. We don't do it all on our own. In fact, the, the words go on, don't they? In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this, this world and of the ruler of the kings of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There is a spirit of defiance and treason about our world that says, God, if you are there, I only want to make you a small thing. I want this thing to be about me. That is an echo of somebody else who said that. That's an echo of Satan who said, I will, I will, I will, I will. Not God will, God will, God will. Now, even as I'm saying this, I realize there's probably some tension and kickback in the room because we have it so drummed into us by our culture that we are to pursue our own story, write our own future, live for number one, care for those just around you, but set the priorities yourself. And the Apostle Paul would look upon that and says, that was exactly what I used to do and exactly what I used to be like. But when I met the risen Lord Jesus Christ, I realized that that was an act of defiance totally against him. So Paul is saying that the problem in the world isn't out there. The problem in the world is inside of each one of us and it has consequences. And there's this very strange phrase that comes up next. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, or in some versions, childrens of, children of wrath. That's a very strange phrase because we don't use the phrase wrath very often, but it basically means anger and snorting at injustice or something that is wrong, something that is ugly and shouldn't be done. In fact, you probably snort when you're angry and somebody wrongs you and you feel that they should never have done that. In fact, if you doubt that you snort, next time you do it, take a selfie and send it to me and we'll have a little laugh about it. But what happens when God snorts with indignance? at the way in which we treat each other and the way in which we treat him, the one who gave us life. The Bible tells us that we are in a state of deadness that is storing up for itself a rot for a future point. And though many don't want to acknowledge it, the evidences of that are all around, dripping down upon us day by day. There's the reality of despair. There is the reality of disease, there is the reality of dishonesty, there is the reality of death, all of which are drip, drip, drip signs of something that is being stored up for the future. It reminds me of scout camp, not that scout camp is some sort of punishment for something, but the scout camp that I went on as a teenage boy, we'd been out in the field for nearly a week and we really did stink pretty bad. And it must have been pretty bad for a bunch of teenage boys to come together and say, we're gonna go and build ourselves a camp shower. So we took our poles, we took our rope and we took a big canvas and we marched into the wood near the stream. And we rigged up this thing with the canvas held up by the poles and the trees so that you could stand underneath it and it was near the stream, so loads of people would be filling with the buckets, filling the canvas, and it was filling up, 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 up with water. And I stood underneath, and I used my little pen knife, and I popped through, and, well, it was great because it was like a shower dripping down. There were the drops of what was above coming down upon me, but you've guessed it. I used my pen knife just that little bit too much. It burst through and the whole of the water came down upon me in one sitting on my head. The Bible tells us that that is something that is the future for every one of us. We are dead in our transgressions and sins, experiencing that in part now. And the drip, drip, drips are all around us. We experience the drips of God's wrath every day in the trouble that we face in traffic, in the bad back pains that we have, in the failed businesses, in cancer diagnoses, in school bullies, and dare I even say, in coronavirus itself, all of which are drip, drip, drips, telling us that there is something above that is looming upon us and we need a salvation because we are dead in our transgressions and sins. Paul says, let this sink in. I was on my road to Damascus and I was not aware of how much I had offended the true and living God and how much he was right to know that I needed to be judged. You see, if God is one day to wipe away all evil and anybody who has ever suffered hopes that he will. If God is one day to wipe away all evil, do I really think that I'm far enough removed from that evil that I won't get washed away in the judgment too? Have you diagnosed yourself right? See, if it's a cut, you need a plaster. If it's the flu, you need paracetamol. If it's the horror of cancer, you need chemo. But if you are dead, you need a miracle. 
And that's what Paul now declares. Do you notice how he explodes with those two words that have changed the world and are based on the empty tomb, the resurrection? This is what he says. But God, but God, because of his great love for us, he has mobilized and moved into action. And that is what the whole Easter message is all about. That knowing the worst about us, he moves towards us, though we have shaken the fist and trying to build life in his world all about us. Though we have got a judgment that is coming, though we have dishonored him, he moves into action. And it's not to crush us, but to save us through the work of his son. Remember what Paul said? I was dead, but God made me alive in Christ. Because of his great love for us. I heard just this week a story. It was told by a guy, a pastor called Robert Coleman, of a young girl in his congregation who had got some sort of illness and she hadn't developed the antibodies to be able to fight. Her immune system was incredibly low and there was only one person who could help her. She was eight years old and she had an older brother who was 10 years old. And when he went to look and see her in the hospital, mother explained and said, The only way that we can make sure she survives is if we have a blood transfusion where some of your blood, which has got the antibodies and the immunity to protect against the illness, can be put into her body so that she will live. The poor lad looked incredibly nervous, but he said, okay, I'll go ahead. And he was wheeled in and they connected up the little intravenous feed into his arm, at which point they noticed that he was trembling. He was trembling and he looked up at the doctor with a tear in his eye and he simply said to the doctor, is this going to is this going to take long? And it dawned upon the doctor that the little boy didn't quite realize what was going to happen. The little boy had realized a thought that for him to help his sister, it was going to require him to die. But because of his great love for his sister, he was willing how happy he must have been when he realized he could help his sister without dying. But we see the great love that is shown there. And it is an echo of the great love that Jesus Christ has for you and me, not for a sister, but for those who were enemies against him, like the Apostle Paul, who wanted rid of him. Martin Luther, the great changer of all things in Europe, he said this, if I was God and the world treated me as as it has him, I would have kicked the vile, wretched thing to pieces and the Lord of glory would be right to do that. But he hasn't. Jesus Christ has come. He has made us alive in him. How has he done that? Well, Paul, Paul saw something of that when he met the risen Jesus Christ. He realized that by Jesus being raised from the dead, it means that Jesus Christ has punched a hole through sin and guilt and death and has come out the other side in order to lead people through what he has done. I learned how to play rugby at the tender age of 11 and I didn't quite understand the rules. So the rules in rugby are when you are running to get the ball to the far side against the opposition team, you have to be behind the ball to be able to run forward. And it wasn't just me who didn't fully understand the rules. What happened was there was a fella on our team called Ben, Ben Hillier, I think. At the age of 11, he was the best part of six foot. He was massive. He was fast. And he struck fear 
into the opposition team. And on this one occasion when we didn't fully understand the rules, instead of running along beside me so I could pass the ball sideways so he would be behind the ball, he just saw a bunch of people in front of me. I had the ball. I was a little squirt. He looked at me, looked at them, and he punched a hole straight through the middle. And I went running on behind to try and take all the glory, the things that he had worked for, everything that was supposed to hit me. It didn't hit me. It hit him. He blazed a trail through for my glory. Do you see the sort of likeness to what Jesus Christ has done? You see, being made alive in Jesus Christ is that you are so wrapped up in him by faith that where he goes, you are carried along. Of course, that had happened to the Apostle Paul. He knew that he was a sinner and he knew that he deserved death. But at the cross, Jesus Christ went into death and death hit him. The death not that he deserved because Jesus was perfect and had never sinned. But he was struck by the wrath and the sin of a humanity that has shaken its fist at God. He died in our place. He was treated by God as sinners and rebels should be. It fell upon him. It was str it struck him, Jesus, in my place. But then at the resurrection, as Jesus is raised up victorious, think about it for a second. There was a moment where his body was cold in the tomb, but then his heart started to beast, beat. His synapses started to become alive. His nerves awakened. His hair stood up an end. His muscles started to move. And in that moment, history was changed forever because he had punched a hole through death. And he would carry me through. It's almost as if as I grab this little Bible to show you, make sure you don't miss this. Have a little look. If this is the world and my spiritual death that I'm in right now, I am wrapped up in that. And wherever that goes, well, I go. But what happens when you meet the risen Lord Jesus Christ is you get wrapped up in him. The pen is transferred into his presence and wherever he has gone and wherever he has is going, it counts for you. Notice what the Apostle Paul gets so excited about. He gets excited about the prospects of us actually being raised with Jesus Christ now. So we are safe and we are secure in all that he has done. And it's by grace. For it is by grace that you have been saved. That's what we celebrate at Easter, the power of Christ to change our destiny, to break the power of death and to lead us into new relationship with the God who made us and loved us. So as I come to the end of this, I want you to understand the impact of hope alive for everybody who's put their trust in Jesus. The first one is this. And I'll give you an illustration. I was speaking to a lovely lady recently and. Um, well, she's been facing some rather difficult things but she was filled with hope. The hope wasn't in her marriage because yeah, you guessed it, the marriage was going south and she was really struggling in the married relationship. Her hope wasn't in her home because that was in the process of being taken away from her because of the marital difficulties. The hope that she had wasn't in her children because her children had taken a different side. Her hope wasn't in her money or her ability to overcome the situation because those things were looking bleak. 
But in these moments of trial and difficulty and betrayal, she was experiencing something that she had never tasted before. This is what she said. I think I have more hope now than ever before. And so I ask her, why? Why is this the case? Why is this the reality when everything else seems to be crumbled? And she said this, the empty tomb. The empty tomb means hope is alive. You know, as a nation, we're going through some strange things at the moment. And it can have a wonderfully clarifying and focusing effect in our lives if we will let it. We will realize that so many of the things that we have put our hope and our trust in are fragile and can be taken away from us in a moment. In fact, anything that we have that we put our tro uh, trust and hope in in this world can be taken from us in a second. And it's in those moments when we feel those things that we have trusted and depended upon being pulled away from us or us giving them away through our own poor and selfish decisions that we realize the value and the virtue that Jesus' resurrection hope being made alive in him cannot be touched by anything in this world. What will it do to you if you receive this? Well, it will make you courageous because although many things will come at you that may give you a sense of giving up, you'll be able to look and you'll be able to see an empty tomb and you'll know that those things that would rock you and knock you are not going to have the final word. You will be courageous. You will have hope alive. What about on those moments when you feel guilty and you fear that God must reject you? Well, you will look at the empty tomb and you will see that his promise of salvation in Jesus Christ has succeeded and has overcome. And you will know that though you may not measure up, Jesus has measured up for you. So your guilt is dealt with. He took your guilt into the grave. It is buried and it cannot harm you again. It means as well you will have hope alive because you know who you are. Your identity will not be found in your achievements or lack of them. Your identity is not found in the things that you have experienced or the things that you have suffered. Your identity is not tied up with performance of you it is tied up by being attached to the one who is risen and is raised you've all seen those gloriously big sports stadiums where there are the, the poshest seats of all right up near the top that is where we have been secured by jesus imagine if you let that loose that living hope loose in your life this coming week and when injustice is seen in the world and you wonder why things are the way that they are you know that there is a Jesus Christ, a risen Lord, who is going to judge the world and do away with all evil at some point. That means hope alive for you in the face of injustice. Or what about that most cruel thing, that most cruel thing of all, the reality of death? It means that if Jesus Christ is risen from the grave, then we have an immortal soul. He tells us so, and that one day, all of us will pass from this life to the next and it will be to one of life and joy if it is with him. Have you asked him to carry you through that? If you have not trusted in him, if you have not turned to him, if you are going to try and do that on your own, then you will be facing and meeting him not as your Lord and Saviour, but your judge. You don't want to do that. But if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, if you have, if you were dead and would allow him to make you alive, then you will simply be 
changing address. So I said to my girls yesterday, a day will come when people will talk about how Steve is dead. Please do not believe that. My body may have died, but everything that makes me me will just have changed address. I will be with my Lord and Saviour forever. So as we look out on uncertain times, the Apostle Paul, who met the risen Lord Jesus Christ on a road to Damascus, when he was fighting against the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was angry and consumed, when he did not realise how much he was dead in his transgressions and sins, was made alive again by Jesus. Please don't think that this isn't for you. This is for everybody who currently has a pulse. Christians around the world are proclaiming this. So please don't think that it is something weird or to be moved away. If God really is the God who made you and loved you and your biggest problem really is your sin and rejection of him, then you need the only thing that can fix it, a miracle. And that is what happened. And that is what you can know breaking into your life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope alive. And so we're going to sing a song. It's a new song to us as a church. Many of you may know it from some of the stuff that you download off the Internet. But it's the first time we'll have sung this one together. It's called Living Hope. And for some of you who already know the Lord Jesus, rejoice that you are raised in him. Made alive in him. If you have not yet decided to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you today is a great day to do it. Allow the powerful proof of the resurrection to push away your doubts and to reign. Doubt your doubts. Turn to him even as we're singing and say, Lord Jesus Christ, would you be my living hope? I know I haven't got an answer to some of the things that I'm facing, but I know that if I'm near you, I have all the answers I need. Please, would you forgive me my sin? Would you bring me amongst the company of your people? Would you wrap me up and make me alive in you? Some of you are saying, oh, Steve, that couldn't possibly happen. You don't know what I've done. I don't, but Jesus does. And he says that if I, uh, he says that if he can raise and draw near to him, somebody like the Apostle Paul, what he used to be like in his own old life, then he can definitely save you. Turn to Christ now and know this living hope. Let's sing together.